You know, I love to hear an atheist say, I don't believe in God. I love to hear an atheist say, I don't believe in God. And my response to that is, I say to them is, so tell me what year it is. And the atheist would say, well, it's 2019, all right? And I, and I would say, you mean 2019 AD? And they say, yeah, 2019 AD. And my response is, well, I thought you didn't believe in him. Because you just said 2019 after death. Amen? You'll get that one later. Okay. <laughs> I, wor- I tried it out on my dog, and she cracked up. So you like that one better. See, okay. I'll use her more often. So we know. How many know Jesus is the centerpiece to humanity? Period. There's no doubt. There's no debate as a believer. So then after Jesus, we have what's called grace. And we have the church. The church came. The church came into existence after Jesus. Okay, so the Old Testament, there was Israel, right? There was Israel. Jesus came out of Israel. Jesus came out of Israel, and, and, and he became the Messiah to the world. And then after Jesus ascended to heaven on the Mount of Olives, the church at that time is now the Israel. I mean, we are the people of God. Amen? The Old Testament, let me say it. The Old Testament, you have Israel. Jesus comes out of Israel. He's the Messiah to the world. Jesus goes to heaven, and now we are the people of God. God says, you're it. You're the ones I'm going to use. We are the people. So Jeremiah, this Old Testament prophet, remember, so when Jeremiah was prophesying Jesus as we know him as the Son of God in flesh, the one who died on the cross, had not yet come to earth. He was in heaven, right? So Jeremiah, at this time, was well before the church was established. And a prophet means, as I said earlier, when God would lift someone up into the heavenlies and they would allow them to see into another day. That's a prophet. God lifts you up and you see into another day. And that day that God was showing Jeremiah is the day that we are living in today. Come on, amen? How many believe some of the the prophets thousands of years ago were speaking of a day that we are living in today? Right now, when you read the Bible, a lot of these Old Testament prophets are longing for what you and I are enjoying. Amen. Let's pray. Father bless and anoint the reading of your word today. Lord, I pray that not only we would just hear the word, but God, we would be doers of the word. And Father, it is my desire as a shepherd of this church that we'd have a greater understanding and knowledge of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are followers, we are believers, and Lord, we are not just spectators, but we want to participate in this great outpouring that is happening across the earth. We believe this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Come on, all of God's people said, amen. All right, did you have your coffee this morning or your hot tea or your flavored water? Whatever it was, you're ready for this. Amen. Let's, let's read the word. Jeremiah chapter, thir- chapter 3, verse 14. And let's look at what it says here. Return, O backsliding children. I'm done. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. So what he's saying is, you're not going to get away from me. 
I will take you from one, from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Okay. So Zion was the mountain that they worshiped on, right? And verse 15, and I will give you shepherds. That word shepherd means pastors. Now, think about this. In the time of Jeremiah, they did not have pastors yet. So Jeremiah was prophesying something. He was seeing something that would take place. God would put shepherds, pastors, leaders on the earth. All right? So he's peering into our day. I am going to give you pastors, shepherds, according to my heart. All right? So what are they going to do? They have to do two things. So the shepherd, pastor, has to do two things. I want you to say it with me. Who will feed you with what? And understanding. Let's say it again. Who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah is getting a picture. He's peering into our time saying that there will be shepherds that are to feed you with knowledge and understanding. One of the greatest elements that is missing from the modern-day church, come on, somebody, is people who have a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding. Amen? Come on. I I hope that everybody in this room can quote Matthew 6.33. I hope that everybody in this church knows when I say Isaiah 53, you understand that chapter talks about he was wounded for our transgressions. Amen? I mean, we should know, we should have a knowledge and an understanding of the Bible. If you've been saved for some time, you should have a knowledge and a hunger for a deeper revelation. That's kind of the thing that God is using, he sent to the prophet, that the shepherd, so I pray that I'm doing my job to help you have a deeper understanding and a knowledge. But we as believers also have to lead others to have a greater understanding. So they feed you with knowledge and understanding. Then what happens? Verse 16. Then it shall come to pass... When you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, he's talking about these days, says the Lord, that they will say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall, they, nor shall it be made anymore. Okay, so in those days, we have the ark of the covenant. We have the mercy seat that is on the ark, and God himself would come and sit on the mercy seat. But what the prophet is saying, there will come a day when no longer people will come and visit the ark. They will no longer come to that place, right? So we have the tabernacle. He's saying there will come a day that someone will come, and we know that someone is Jesus Christ, amen, that will come and visit us every single day. Hallelujah. Amen? He is with us, God with us. So the Old Testament, God called his people out of Egypt. Let's get that established first. And, 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 you know, and before God did anything, and I know it probably sounds crazy, and it might even bother some people that they just don't like to hear this, but after God called the people out of Egypt, he said, Moses, take up an offering and build a tabernacle. Now, how many know there are some people that don't like to hear that stuff? Amen? Take up an offering. And so that's what he he said. Take up an offering and build me a... See, think about it. God was asking former slaves to give an offering. (laughs) I mean, these people probably had a lot of reasons why they didn't want to give. Look what we've been through. Look what we don't have. We've been in the wilderness. But yet God says, I want to stretch you. Come on. I want to stretch you into something new. 
I want to show you how great I am by asking you to help build this tabernacle so that you will have, you'll be a part of what God is doing on the earth. How many want to be a part of what God is doing on the earth? I don't want to sit back and just hold everything for myself and see other people do the work of the gospel. I want to be a part of what God is doing on the earth. When I see a need for our missionaries, the Moors, or our missionaries, the Welches, I want to get on that wagon. Amen. Uh, if I see, you know, some of our own, Julie, good to have you back from Trinidad, in places around the world, I want to get, I want to be a part of what God is doing in their life and, and support them with prayer, or if it's an offering, support them with an offering, amen? I want to be a part of what God's doing in Pakistan, so if God lays it on my heart to give to Pakistan, because how me know, the blessing that we don't see is greater than the blessing sometimes we do see. So he says, I want to take an offering build me an offering, right? Or bring me an offering so that I can build a tabernacle. And, and the tabernacle was not a form of religion. God wanted them to build a tabernacle because God wanted to get close to the people. Amen, period. His desire was not for some spectacle. You know, you got to remember, they're in the middle of a desert, in a desert area. And, and, and I know we were there where this all took place, and it's, it's very barren in some parts of Israel, not all of it. But this part, you got to remember, think about this big white tabernacle being built in this very desert area. It would be seen for a long period of time back in those days. But God's desire was not to build a building, but it was to get close to the people of God. God gave us this church right here, not so that we can just come and just enjoy the nice things about it. No, God said, I want you to have a place where I can get close to you as a congregation. Come on, somebody. And even in your own home, God wants you to, to say, God, my home will be a tabernacle unto the Lord. That, that at our house, we will serve the Lord. Lord. Amen. God can be close to you anywhere you go. We just have to make those places, those places that we bring an offering so that he can build a tabernacle. He wanted a place that he could be close to them. So the tabernacle, if you know about the tabernacle, it has an outer court, right? It had the outer court and it had the inner court inside of the outer court, of course. And there was a curtain inside that area. And behind the curtain was the holiest of holies, this place that we call the Holy of Holies. And only, only one man would, would be allowed to go behind the curtain, and that one man was the high priest. And the high priest, only one time a year, only one day a year could he actually go into the place right? It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that is when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would have to go through a series of ceremonial cleansings even before he could go in there. And so he'd go through these cleansings, and, and he had to meet every single requirement before he could enter into God's presence, because behind the curtain was the greatest artifact, the greatest piece of furniture ever known to humanity, the Ark of the Covenant, right? How many know they've made many movies about the Ark? To this day, treasure hunters are still trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. But what made the ark so powerful was not, just, was not the box, but it was that God himself would sit on the mercy seat. He would leave heaven, come and sit on the mercy seat, and there that high priest would be in his presence. And if the high priest 
was not living right, if he did not do all the proper things, basically his face would melt off in God's presence. So we understand the importance of this piece of furniture, I'll call it. The Ark of the Covenant. And it was a box, and there's a mercy seat. And God would come so that he could be close to his people. There, there was no cross yet. There was, there was no washing away of sin by the blood of Jesus yet. It was only the blood of bulls and pigeons and, and goats and so on that would somehow hold back the judgment of God, right? And how many know it's only the blood of Jesus that covers us that holds back the judgment of God? And I believe that we are living in a day and an age that the prophets would see that there were people that had a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding that were living kind of a worldly life, but yet claiming to be Christians somehow. And how many know we need the blood of Jesus applied in our lives, saying, God, forgive me, because it's only the blood that keeps back the judgment of God, not just in our lives, but over our nation. Amen. Come on, church who knows how to pray. Church, we need to pray for our nation. Some of the decisions that have been made, that it's the church as we pray that is holding back the judgment of God. But if the church stops praying and the church stops giving, you know, time for God, guess what? We begin to lose ground that God has established for us to have. We need this. We need this word. We need to understand. So that's why the Bible says when Jesus hung on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn. And two things happened at this moment. We got access to God, and God got access to us at this moment. God got out from behind the curtain and left the seat. And now Jesus was in, was, Jesus was now God in our midst, amen? God with us, Right? He got out of the mercy seat. He's now with us. Jesus is now the glory of God. And I want you to understand something about the Ark of the Covenant, that it is not a lightweight deal by any means. Like I said, we're talking about the most incredible piece of furniture that's ever been made. And it's not just the Jews who believe that, but it's all of us, right? It's powerful. So we have Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this in just a minute. If you just wait, I'm going to preach this thing. But we have Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and when he prophesies those scriptures that we just read, God is still sitting on that seat, and the, we still had the Holy of Holies. We still had the, the tabernacle. All these things are taking place. But So he, the prophet in the Old Testament, God lifts him up into the heavenlies, and begins to show him some things. And he says, in those days, say that with me, in those days. Those days are today. Those days are now. Jesus is coming soon. We are living in those days that were prophesied back then. He says, in that day, I'm going to give you shepherds or leaders, pastors, that are going to have my heart. He's saying they're going to have a twofold responsibility. They're going to feed you with knowledge, and they're going to feed you with understanding. First of all, we need to understand who we are in Christ. Amen? I hear people tell me all that, well, I can't do this, and I don't know if I can go there. I say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
you got to understand who you are in Christ, amen? That we are his chosen. We are a royal priesthood, amen? That we don't have to give in to sin. We don't have to give in to temptation. Come on. We don't have to live like the world. I'm going to preach old school today. We don't have to do the things. And I've seen the church kind of model the world instead of modeling Jesus Christ. We need to model Jesus the most high. And I see a lot of people in the church, and I read it online, and I get kind of confused, and I bang my head. I bang it all the time. I'm like, Lord, am I not giving the word properly to let them have understanding and knowledge that we need Jesus more than ever in the day and age that we are living in? There's so much confusion. There are people who don't even understand how much God loves them, and they're confused about marriage, and they're confused about all these things. And now we have a world of people who don't have an understanding and a knowledge of what the Word of God says. Come on. And it's time. It's time that we do. He said that knowledge that they give you, understanding that you give you, is going to have a twofold result. When you are multiplied and increased in the land, and that's what we want. When you are multiplied and increased in the land, he said, then they will not need the Ark of the Covenant. He's saying that the church would multiply and the church would increase. How many know when the church began, right? How many know, praise God for the 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost. As they begin to preach the gospel and signs and wonders are happening, people come to Jesus. Church, we need to pray for signs and wonders and the miracles to happen in the house of God because the world is not looking for phony stuff. The world is not looking for a church that is dead and dry. The world is looking for something real. People are drawn to supernatural. You don't have to look very far. People are drawn to all kinds of things. Uh, uh, matter of fact, me and my dad were in the car the other day and we were behind somebody that literally was, literally, a clergy of witchcraft. They had, didn't they? They had the bumper sticker. And I said, this is literally what I told my dad. I said, they do not know that they are being followed by two men of God. <laughs> we followed that car and we just said, they're, they're going to lose all their power. But we live in a world where people are drawn to supernatural things. Supernatural heroes. Supernatural life. People are not drawn to boring and dry and people who don't understand. People have questions, but how many know we have answers? And so it's time for us as believers and Christians to know who we are in Christ and start living that way. I don't want to be confused by the world. I don't want people to say, now, I thought they were a Christian, but they're definitely not acting. You know, I don't want that. I want people to say, yeah, they are different. They don't act like the world. Yeah, I make mistakes, but I don't re try to remake the mistakes. <laughs> I try to learn from my mistakes. I try to understand that my decisions do determine my destiny. I, I, I do try to understand that every decision I make affects my tomorrow. Amen? And how many know your prayer life affects your tomorrow? Your giving affects your tomorrow. Your worship affects your tomorrow. But sitting back and doing nothing also affects your tomorrow. So we need to do something about it. We are going to be increased and multiplied in the land. So talking about the ark, remember, he said that people aren't going to visit, it, visit the ark anymore. They're not going to talk about it. They're not going to come and see it. And there will never be another one built because they don't need it. Because they have Jesus Christ. They have Christ. 
And so this is the message that the prophet is, is getting through. And he's saying, I'm going to take what used to be in the ark, and I'm going to put it inside of man. I'm going to take that, that uh, power and that anointing that was inside a box, and I'm going to put it inside of my people. When you begin to think about the weight and the, and the magnitude of that, that God is in us, church. Come on. We have the gifts and the abilities to do, as he said, even greater things. And so sometimes as we live our life, we feel like that we can't get over that sin. We can't beat this thing. But then we have to ask ourselves, then what am I doing? Because if God is in us, come on, he is greater than anything that is against us. So no longer was the ark, but now it came into man through Jesus Christ's son. And remember, they said, the people would say, you know, we want to see God in the New Testament. We want to see God and uh, give us another sign. And and we want to see all these things. And the sign was Jesus standing before him. God sent his son. And, And you remember, Jesus looked at them and he said, when you have seen me, come on, Bible scholars, you have seen God. When you see me, you've seen God. And so you have to receive Jesus to get God. I got to just stop there. You have to receive Jesus to get God. I know people that say, I don't feel God. I don't understand God. I'm mad at God. Then I ask them, have you ever received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Because there's people you can sit in church your whole life and never, never understand what it means to receive Jesus Christ. Church, come on, I want every person in this room to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because when you get to know Jesus, come on, you get God. But a lot of people try to get God before they want Jesus. I want God to give me all these things. I want God to provide. I want God. Well, it's about time that you say I need to get more of Jesus and then I'll let God be God. But sometimes people try to skip the part where Jesus says, you have to follow me. Amen? If you want, I want you to follow me and be fishers of men. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Come on, we know all these scriptures, don't we? All these things that we have to do to get to God. We, moder- we live in a culture that people want to skip that part. Remember, the, di- the, 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 the disciples, boy, I, dis- I struggled on that one. <laughs> when did we see you, Jesus. You know, Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, when were you ever in prison? And and they were kind of puzzled by, you weren't thirsty, you weren't hungry, you weren't in prison, Jesus, were you? And you remember Matthew 25, Jesus explains this. Jesus says, you know, when you gave that cup of cold water to that person, he said, really, when you gave it to them, actually, you did it for me. He, He said... When that person who was hungry and you fed them, actually, not only did you feed them, but you were actually feeding me. You did it for me. Come on. How many know when we give an offering, we're not just giving an offering to help the church pay its bills, but really we are doing it for the Lord. When we serve, we're not just helping out VBS to help the kids. Yes, it does that, but actually we are doing it for the Lord. As you begin to have that mindset, everything that we do should be as unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, come on. And so we understand now that when we, Jesus is saying, when you give to the poor, you're actually doing it for me. He said, when you visited that person in jail, you actually did it for me. 
He said, I, was, I understand what that person felt like. And by you visiting them, by you serving them, by you giving to them, you actually are doing it for me. When you give, you are not only the blessing of the ministry of this house, we are doing it as unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And I know I'm running out of time, but I want to bear down on one of these words. Colossians 3, 17. Say it with me. It's in yellow. And what? Say it again. And whatever. Whatever you do. In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you want of me, God. How many remember the day that you got saved? And I doubt anybody in this room said, Jesus, come into my life but I want to set the parameters of what you can do in my life. And I want to tell you what I want to do with my life. And, and I don't want, how many know when you got saved, you just said, Lord, just take it all. I surrender all. But sometimes along the journey, we begin to set parameters and conditions for God. God, you can have this part of my life, but you can't have the Friday night part of my life. Or you can have this part of my life, but you can't have what I watch kind of part of my life. How I many know we, we tend to, longer we're saved if we're not careful, we begin to set parameters of what God can and can't do in our life. Amen? When I, I remember being first saved, and I remember being a youth pastor, and some of you in this room, when, when God led your life, the first thing out of people's mouth is, what do you want me to do, pastor? I'll do anything you ask. I'll do anything the Lord wants. Now, I hope that we can all still say that in this house. I hope that when somebody says we have a need in the ministry, that we, we have to turn people away because we don't have enough places for all the volunteers. Wouldn't that be nice? But sometimes, unfortunately, it's the other way around. We need to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I do it for you. Whatever, whatever. It says, and whatever you do, whatever you've been assigned, whatever you've been asked to serve, in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and by the way, be thankful while you're doing it. Don't complain about doing it. Don't say, God, I'll do whatever you want, but I'm only doing it because no one else will do it. Then you're not really doing it for the Lord. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's go to verse 23 for the sake of time. Whatever you do, do it heartily. The NIV says, with your whole heart, put everything into it. When you serve in a house, when you greet, when you play an instrument, when you lead, do it with your whole heart. Amen? As to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of what? Wait, what's that say? It didn't say harvest, did it? It didn't say you're going to receive a reward because of a harvest of something that you, you planted or did. It says you're going to receive a reward because of an in, inheritance. My, that's good. I want, I want to break that down in a second if that's okay. For you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Inheritance. We have an inheritance, church. So whatever I do, do with all my might, with my heart, as to the Lord and not to men. How many know when you do things for the Lord, then you can stop, you don't have to worry about what other people think. Come on, we need to be free from that. 
It doesn't matter. If, if God is leading me to do this with my heart, with the right attitude, giving thanks to him, this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm supposed to Knowing, come on, say knowing, not hoping. Not believing, but knowing. But knowing that the whole time while I'm doing it, I'm receiving a reward of an inheritance. That's a whole nother level right there. A whole, that's, God says, as long as, as long as the earth remains, Genesis chapter 8, as long as there's the earth, there will be a seed time and there will be a harvest time. Amen? It's never going to stop. Never. Thank God, every spring, what? What pops up out of the ground? It took a little longer this year. <laughs> Grass comes up. Trees grow. Their, their leaves pop again. Right? So things spring forth. Every, it never stops. And, and, and in that same mindset, there will never be a time where, you, like I said, your decisions won't affect your tomorrow. The words you speak will affect your tomorrow. Amen? But, but we're not talking about harvest in this verse. We're talking about inheritance. Harvest is dependent on something you do. Sometimes people serve, and it's something that they do. An action is taken, and so you receive, right? You plant something, and now you're going to grow something. You receive a harvest. But the verse we just read says this. You receive the reward, not of your harvest, but of your inheritance, right? Inheritance has nothing to do with what you do. Inheritance has everything to do with your identity. And it's totally different from harvest. That we are identified with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yahweh is our provider. Amen? We have an inheritance. It's not volunteering. Let me read verse 23 and go deeper. And I'll get you out of here soon. Kind of soon. <laughs> Pretty soon. Whatever. And we need to get to that place first where we, where we say whatever. Hey, man, how many know nobody is too good to serve? Amen? Because if you think you're too good to serve, God will set you down to the beginning and humble you. I told you I'm going to preach it to me today. If anybody thinks that they're too good to do anything for the Lord, God will set you back to the beginning places of your walk and say, you're going to start all over and I will humble you and show you how great I am. I've had times in my life God had to humble me and say, I'm going to set you back a few notches and, let, and remind you that you're not doing this on your own power. You're not doing it on your own talent, but you're doing it because it's not by might nor by spirit, but by my power, says the Lord. And so we have to understand that God is still God, and he wants us to give him all the glory. Amen? Woo! I said I was going to... I'm, I'm, this is therapy. I feel like I'm going to have my own therapy class with you all this morning for myself. Whatever you do, do it heartedly, with all your heart. Church, we want people to come to Harvest Line Church and have the best experience ever. Amen? It is my desire that when a visitor walks in our church, that they walk out saying, that was a great experience. I felt God. I felt the love of people. I didn't hear people saying a bunch of weird stuff. I didn't hear people, right? I want people to have the best experience. We want and enable them to have the greatest experience and to really feel God in this house. I want them to say, I didn't even notice the worship team. I didn't even notice you preaching. I just felt God. I had someone tell me recently, this really was a great thing. They said, Pastor, uh, they said, when I first started coming, I, 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 during worship, I would kind of watch you. 
They watched me. I'm like, well, what do you want to watch me for, right? And they said, no, I'd watch you. And I knew the last song, I knew that when you would walk up on the stage, you would get your Bible, you were ready to, like, transition. They said, so I kind of watched what you did, and I knew what was happening next. They said, but now I've learned to get so deep in worship, I don't even notice you. I just hear your voice. Come on, that is such a difference. Because they say, I'm just so, I'm so wrapped up in worship, all of a sudden I hear you talking, I didn't even realize that you went up on the stage. And I said, you went from being a spectator to a participator. See, God wants us to be in that mindset. It doesn't matter who's up here. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. It doesn't matter who's sitting next to you. All that matters, we are here for God and God alone. And we want this to be the best experience, not just for visitors, but for you. Amen? Because how many know we are not a club? We are not a restaurant. <laughs> we are the people of God, and we are passionate about it. Amen? As to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. As to the Lord, not men. So whatever you serve, whenever you serve for a person, whenever you do things for somebody else, you're going to get two things. Two things happen. So if I'm doing something for someone else and not for the Lord, number one, you're not going to serve very well. And number two, you're not going to serve very long. How many believe that? If you're doing anything in the house or for the Lord and you're not really, you're just doing it to, to, to get noticed by somebody else or you're doing it just to say, I do it. How many know most of the time people don't last very long in that area of ministry? But when you do it unto the Lord and with joy, you might do it for the rest of your life. <laughs> hmm. See, because there are times that if you have this mindset that I'm doing it for man, people will serve as long as someone is noticing them or, or thanking them or patting them on the back and letting you know how special you are or until you find a flaw in the church that you don't like. And then that's when people sometimes stop serving, when they don't get recognized by men or they don't feel like someone's giving them the appreciation or they find a flaw in the pastor or the worship or the leaders or the church. How I many know? And then people stop serving. That tells me they weren't doing it for God. They were doing it for men. But if I'm doing it as unto the Lord, amen, I could be in the midst of the most hostile environment, come on, missionaries, and they will still do it as unto the Lord. You might not get to sleep on a nice cozy bed. You might have flies biting you in the night, but you say, I'm here on this mission trip, and I'm doing it for the Lord. Amen. I'm not comfortable. No one's patting me on the back. No one's posting my picture on Facebook about this, but you know what? I'm doing it as unto the Lord. And that is a place of freedom. God says when you serve, serve not to men, but to the Lord. I, want, I, I got this little thing. This sermon's called Game Changers. It's going to be a series. I'm going to talk more about Game Changers in the next few weeks. But I want you to see this next quote. If you could put that up. Inheritance is a prearranged blessing to be released at a specific time of maturity. Problem is, a lot of people never mature in their faith. So they never receive the full inheritance on this earth. Now, as a believer, we will all receive an inheritance of, of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. But how many know God wants to release things in our life? But first, he needs us to come to a place of maturity. 
And what do I mean by that? I'll explain. Because there are some people that are 60 years old that have not grown up yet. And there's a phenomenon we talked about at our men's Bible study on Sunday nights, if you were there. There's, and I'm just talking to guys because I'm a dude, right? As you can tell, I'm a guy. And, and there's a phenomenon of, amongst guys in this generation now. There are many guys who are in their 30s that are still boys. And I'm looking for some godly men. I'm looking for some men of integrity. I'm looking for some men who will be men of God and not just boys who just kind of go with the world and just kind of give in to everything. Come on, come on, somebody. And I'm sure if my wife was up here, she would say the same thing to the ladies. But I don't have enough time because you could do a great job. You'd do better than me probably. But I love being around. See, let me give you two examples. So I have been around. There's a couple I can think of them right now. I don't need to say their name. A few years ago, I was so amazed. I, I, I helped out at VBS, and, and I, I don't remember what character I played, but Heather asked me to do something, and as a good husband, I said, yes. Yes, babe. And so I, I did it. And I have to admit, there are a couple of the kids in the classroom. I was like, man, what have they been teaching these kids in children's church? They know the word. And I was like very blown away and impressed. I was like, they were putting me on the spot. Pastor, you know, what does it say in this? And I'm like, let me get back to you on that one, right? <laughs> and so I want to say maturity as a believer has nothing to do with age. I've met young kids who know the word. Thursday, I spent an hour with Brother James. And I, and I sat down with that Brother James, 97 years old. Can't move real fast, but boy, he's still sharp as a tack. And me and my dad were praying with him. We had communion together. We spent some time. Brother James was pulling out scriptures out of nowhere. And matter of fact, I'm going to give you a little story. He's not here, right? Because if he was, I don't want to embarrass him, but... We pulled up to the house, his nice little house. We're well kept there. And we pull up to the house, and he's got this little, like, porch area. What was Brother James doing? He had his Bible wide open. He was in the Word of God. 97, how many know he could have said, I'm done. I'm 97. Let somebody else do it. Let somebody else do the heavy. How many know spiritual maturity is not about age? Amen? It's not about age. See, God watches our servitude. God watches our servitude and our maturity. And in the process of serving, he matures us in the process. Amen? God watches how we do things. God watches how we serve. God watches how we treat others. And there are people who are frustrated in the house of God everywhere right now in churches all across this country that don't understand what God has with their name on it. They don't understand that God has something with their name on it, and it won't be released until they decide that I am not a spectator anymore. And you'd say, God, I want to be a participator. And God says, I have an inheritance for you. I have something. See, my kids, I haven't done this yet, but when I write my will and testament, Let's say I, I write my will in my testament, and I say, when I go, and me and Heather go, I want these things to be released as an inheritance to my kids, and I want them to receive it at the age of 25. They have to at least be 25, so Pastor Devin's already there. But, and so I have an inheritance, right, that's already waiting for them. 
But I want them, now I'm not saying that they're immature, but I, I want them to be at an age of 25 so I understand that at that age they would understand I've been given this amount of money and I will do something good with it. I don't want to give it to someone who's 14 that's going to go blow it on video games, <laughs> right? I spent my whole inheritance, I bought every video game known to man. But I want to release the inheritance to them when I know that they're at a place of maturity that they're going to do something good with it. See, God has an inheritance for all of us in this house, amen? But he wants to release it into your life when you come to a place of spiritual maturity. And remember, the, uh, the Jeremiah said what? There's a lack of knowledge and understanding. Church, I'm ready for that inheritance to hit this house. I'm ready for the inheritance to hit my life, my family. And inheritance doesn't always mean financial, like you're going to win the publisher's clearinghouse. You might. Good for you. But it also might mean joy, peace, understanding, love, patience, kindness, meekness, humility. Maybe your inheritance is all of a sudden you have that willpower not to do that thing that you know God doesn't want you to do. Amen? Maybe inheritance means you know how to control your tongue. You know how to watch what you say. Inheritance means maybe I have control over my body, my emotions. Come on. God wants to release these things in our life, but he says, I need you to come to a place of maturity so you can handle the blessing. Church, I think we are on the verge of ready to receive that inheritance. But God wants us to continue to grow in understanding of the word of God. All right, I said I was going to get you out soon, and I want to keep my word. I'm just so excited to have electricity. Although last week was really cool. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really a cool service. And the worship was really fun and is great, but it's also cool to have some air conditioning in the house. But I will close soon. Would you stand with me? Inheritance. See, God watches how we handle the gift that he's put in us. God says, I have put a gift in every, every single person in this church has a gift. God is watching to see how you handle that gift. Has that gift become dormant? Have you decided that no longer I'm in a place of serving, that no longer I'm in a place of only receiving? You see, the greatest leaders ever that have lived were also the greatest servers. Because the greatest of them all was Jesus Christ, right? And we know that Jesus served like no other. So he is our model. Why then should we ever think that we are, you know, we're too worthy to ever serve? If Christ is my model, then I want to have a heart of serving. Because servers are game changers. You want to see things change in your life? Serve. You want to grow in your walk with the Lord? Begin to serve and you'll find yourself hungry and thirsty for the word. Because I know for a fact, when I did that VBS, I had to do a little extra preparation that week, and it forced me to study some things that I normally don't study. And all of a sudden, I was like in the Word more that week than I have been in a long time because I had 25 kids looking at me for answers. And I realized I can't play Chubby Bunny for an hour every week. I needed to give them something that they could hold on to, amen? Something real. So I, by serving, I begin to grow in my maturity. You understand what I'm saying? But sometimes we just sit back and we say, well, this is good enough. I don't ever want to have that mindset. 
because I'm waiting for my inheritance. My inheritance. I have one other quote I want to put on the, on the screen this morning. I think I actually already said it about leaders. If, I'll give you some, God's great, the idea. God's greatest leaders are his greatest servers. God's greatest leaders are his greatest servers. If you ever study the, the lives of some of the greatest leaders in church history, you will find that all those leaders served. One of the people that I respect in this day and age that we live in is a man by the name of Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham not only does Operation Christmas Child, he travels, he packs boxes, and he helps deliver, he carries them, he does the, so not only is he the man at the top, but he's also the man at the bottom. Serving from that position, bottom up, makes you a great leader. There's no great leader that serves from the top and lords over people. And so as believers, our job, so it's, we are, how many know, we are the salt of the earth. We are not the salt of the salt. All of you in this room, you're salty. Right? We are the salt of the earth. What is the earth? The earth is outside this church's four walls. We are to salt the earth, but sometimes we only want to salt the salt. We only want to serve those in the church. God is calling us to a place as a church. I believe that he wants us to get out of these four walls and begin to serve our community. Come on, serve our neighborhoods. Serve people who don't talk, act, live like us, Amen. and serve. I mean, that is the greatest testimony. That's how Jesus lived his life. He served. The woman at the well, he didn't give her a five-point sermon and then, and then, you know, do things with, for her. He served. God's greatest leaders are his greatest servers. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment as the Holy Spirit just speaks to us on an individual level. God says, I have called you, I have designed you, I have created you for a purpose, for a plan. And he, he said, I, I'm, and, and my, in my life, listen, I wouldn't, we, we never stop growing. We never stop maturing. I don't ever want to be like, well, I matured, I'm good now. No, God, I still need to mature. I need to grow. We need to go deeper. And I, don't, I think you could agree with me. I, I personally, and I want to say that represents you as well, did not come to this church to make it about me. I came saying, how can I make it better? How can I serve? What can I do? Give us that knowledge and understanding, God, of our purpose, our calling, our day-to-day decision-making to serve our loved ones, to serve the house, to, to have hearts of service. That's truly what separates us from the world. We live in a society of me, me, me first. Listen to me, look at me, check me out, me, me, me. But Jesus changed that whole dynamic. It was literally a paradigm shift where he said, it's, it's now not about you, but it's about the Father. God, the Father. See, as we serve the house, I want you to understand, we serve the community. How many know that speaks louder than your theology? Serving speaks louder than your debate. The world is not looking for more debates. You can watch any news channel and get all the debates you want. 
You can watch sports channels and get all the debates you want. The world doesn't need more debaters. They need people who serve with the love of Jesus. We serve. Because God, you came and sent, you sent your son and he served. He served. Father, now I pray that you would create in us, Lord God, as you already have designed us and molded us and made us and breathed life into us, God, that you would remind us of our identity, of who we are in you. God, that we would look for areas to serve you as unto the Lord. Everything we do, that we would give thanks to you. And Lord, I pray that we would have the heart that says, God, not just in this church to be the salt of this house, but the salt of the earth. Let us look for ways to do those random acts of kindness. Father, I pray for those moments, and I thank you for the, the testimonies I've heard in this house where people have had things done to, for them and they've done for others in serving. And we can be your hands and your feet, your ambassadors. This is where it begins. Help us to be game changers. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Would you put your hands together? Let's give God the praise, the glory. If you receive the word this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father God, as we go from this place today, God, we thank you for leading us and guiding us and enabling us to be your hands and feet. As we go from day to day, God, that we would continue to walk in the light of your glory. We would trust in you in all things. We would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to us as well. We thank you, Lord, for this hour, for this time to be together. Lord, but now we thank you for what you're going to do this week. I pray, God, a great blessing over the church. God, I pray not only would we be excited to be here today, God, we would look forward to everything that we have to do this week, God, that we would do it with, with passion, we would do it with love, and we would give it our whole heart living as believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this time here today. Bless each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go serve our community. Amen. Let's see what happens. Do something this week for somebody, a stranger. Give somebody a compliment. Encourage someone. And we just know that God will use us in a mighty way. I'm going to close with this prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Bless each one. Thank you for bringing Julie back from Trinidad. Thank you for bringing Clara back soon from Trinidad safely. Be with our young people, our youth ministry right now as they are coming home today from being up north and a great time they had. Bless each one in this house. Be with those who are not able to be with us this morning. Meet every need in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Enjoy. This.